taking your Bible to go there, I do want to give a couple of pastoral exhortations, really important stuff. First of all, uh, Don Rice, one of our deacons, is going to be having a meeting in that conference room off the foyer. For those of you that have seen the email uh, to help us station the prayer station that the city of Warren provides, and so he has important information to give for that, as well as for a summer prayer meeting that will go on here on Wednesday evening. So meet with Don following the service there again in that conference room. A couple more things for the church to be in prayer about. We are thankful that God has saved a number of people um, over the past several months. And uh, we had a class today, and as well, um, it is our intention at this point to baptize on June the 18th and June the 25th. So, a number of you who are new to Christianity, perhaps don't have a strong background in understanding the Bible, which is, which is okay. We love everyone that comes through those doors. Uh, each and every week, what we want to do is to preach the gospel to people. We simply want you to know the good news of Jesus because it's the good news of Jesus, the thing that saved us. And so, uh, if that's one of you who are in consideration of the gospel as we have talked about, and we know there are many conversations are going on, do not hesitate to approach any of us. We will never try to force you to do anything, but we will be glad to point you to the bread that allowed us to never hunger again. And that bread, of course, is, is Jesus. Um, so we begin this, this morning from Genesis chapter 1, and I'm just going to read for us the first three verses on this Trinity Sunday. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to you as your people, your church, we pray this morning that you will strengthen us in the truth that is only found in your Son, Jesus, and in your word. We thank you for the Holy Trinity, both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, as you strengthen the hearts of your people and build our lives, we pray as well that you'll work and the Spirit will give life according to the truths of the, of the gospel so that people might know the forgiveness of their sin. We give you thanks in all these things and we pray in the name of the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, once again, this is Trinity Sunday. 
And as you've been with us over the past three weeks, two weeks ago, we looked at the ascension of Jesus. And of course, last Sunday, we looked at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit descending in a permanent way to be in God's people. This morning, of course, being Trinity Sunday, we're going to look at the Father, Son, and Spirit. And I've always liked that we have done this as we have over the past close to five years, I would say we've gone through this trilogy because sometimes it's just truth that's somewhat overlooked when we think about Jesus, when we think about the Holy Spirit, and certainly when we pause to think about the Holy Trinity. And so we, we preach the Trinity every year because the Trinity is the foundation of our Christianity. The Trinity matters to us at Christ Community Church because what we think about God matters. And that's only revealed to us, we know, in His Word. Every single Christian doctrine comes down to the Trinity. It is found in two things. Who God is and what God does. Who God is and what God does. The church for 2,000 years has defended the Trinity. And especially the early church in the Athanasian Creed that we read and other creeds and confessions and catechisms, the people of God and those who were pastors and leaders provided great care to help us to understand what the Scripture says and teaches about the, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Technical language has been given to help us to understand what really is a mystery. And so this morning, while we won't spend this morning looking at the false views of the Trinity or some heretical controversies that pertain to the Trinity, pastors are like farmers. Sometimes we plant corn and sometimes we throw stones at the crows. And this morning we're going to draw our attention to plant corn. And we're going to look at this in light of the Trinity as found in creation. When one begins to consider the Trinity, there certainly is an aspect of mystery. The supernatural nature of doctrinal truth does not surprise us, though, really, for any of us that have been inundated with Christianity for any length of time. Whether it's the Trinity whether it's creation, whether it's miracles, whether it's the virgin birth, whether it's the resurrection of Jesus, whether it is our thought on blood atonement for sin, the ascension or Pentecost. These truths do not come to us by human logic, but by the revelation of the word of God is how we understand the Trinity a word that is actually not used in the Bible. And so I want us to begin this morning by giving you a, a simple definition. 
The creeds and the confessions certainly give us an exhaustive one, but perhaps for you, being new to Christianity, you would like to try to grasp exactly what the Bible is describing. And, of course, that's what we want to tell you about. The Trinity, in a simple definition, would be found as this. There is but one true God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Very important. One God, in essence, in three persons. And as we saw in the Athanasian Creed, they are co-eternal. They are co-equal. They possess co-attributes. And for us this morning, we're going to look at how the Trinity, how God worked in creation. Now let me encourage you with this. We began our, our summer Bible series, um, and we're looking at, with the, all of the adults combined in the classroom across the, the gymnasium, um, at God's promised redemption. This morning we did an overview of that, and next week, Pastor Alex, in that class, will look at the Trinity in light of redemption. Because who the Trinity is and what the Trinity does is found in two things in Scripture, both in creation and in redemption. And we'll draw our attention this morning at the end to redemption, but because Pastor Alex will deal with each person of the Trinity next week in redemption, our focus this morning is going to come in creation and how God works in creation. That's not a cheesy advertisement. Come next week. You will be benefited and help understand your Christianity as to how God functions in saving you. The Trinity, though, like redemption, is alluded to and unfolds throughout the Old Testament. It's not until... Of course, Christ reveals the full mysteries of what is concealed from the Old Testament. And so the New Testament gives us this full unfolding and helps us to understand the Old Testament. But together, in a term, Christianity, historic Christianity, is monotheistic Trinitarianism. Monotheistic Trinitarianism. One God in three persons. Now, as we look at this text in Genesis chapter 1, I want to give you three things. Three things in consideration of the Trinity that we find from Genesis chapter 1. I'm not saying this that that's exhaustive. They're just the three we're going to use to help us understand how the Trinity works in creation. Let's go back to the text there in Genesis chapter 1, where Scripture tells us, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The first thing we want to consider this morning is that the Trinity 
is self-existent. Our God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, is self-existent. In the beginning, the Bible tells us, God. God is self-existent. He has the power of being in and of himself. God depends on nothing and no one for his existence. I think this is very important that we understand in that God is self-existent. God is not self-created. God is self-existent. Why? Because something to have created itself would it have to be before it was. God just always was. That's how scripture reveals himself to us. When we consider that, that the Trinity is self-existent, what we think about is that God is other. God is other. He is the creator. We are his creation or his creatures. And his creation, of course, is all of the universe. God is other. God stands alone. He exists by his own power. No one made God. No one caused God. Isaiah says, I am God and there is none beside me. It's not as if God has a peer, a competing God. It is God who is our creator and everything else is, of course, creation. That the Trinity is self-existent is in one word called aseity. Aseity. That's what it means that the Trinity is self-existent. Now look with, back with me to verse 1. I want you to note just a couple of things. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jump down to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The word in the Hebrew for God there is Elohim. I think this is very interesting for us, especially in light of the New Testament and what the Bible has to say about uh, Jesus himself that we'll look at in just a moment. But Elohim is a plural noun and then created a singular verb. So the Trinity created the heavens and the earth, verse 27. So the Trinity created man in his own image. And of course, you and I know this within the text. It tells us in verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image. Once again, it's very important that we understand that God is other. Only God can create. 
Only God can create something out of, of nothing. Our monotheistic Trinitarian God created all the heavens and the earth, and he also has created us. Secondly, as we look and consider this, the Trinity works, as was mentioned by Pastor Brett, it worked in both unity and in harmony. The Trinity works and is, works in unity and in harmony. The Father is, of course, attributed when God is mentioned as to be creating the heavens and the earth. The Apostles' Creed confesses this. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, attributes creation to God the Father, who made all things. When the Apostle Paul is writing in the book of Ephesians to the mystery of redemption, he also mentions in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, verse 9, that it is God, referencing God the Father, who has made all things. We know from Revelation chapter 4 that you and I were made to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But the Holy Trinity is involved in creation. It is the Father who made all things and He makes all things through the agency of the Son along with the love and care of the Holy Spirit. So let's secondly look at the Son, who is the second person of the Trinity, and turn with me to John chapter 1. I know that was our scripture reading this morning from our pastor, Elder Andrew, but especially for those of you who are a little newer to Christianity, this is very important. John chapter 1. The Son, as the second person of the Trinity, was involved and at work in creation. Now think of this in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then chapter 1 unfolds in all that God created, which was everything. Everything was created by God. It is John, the Apostle John, who uses creation-style language to reveal to us the Son, the second person of the Trinity. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who is this Word? Jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory as the glory of the only begotten Son from the Father. The Son is the agent 
that the Father uses to speak creation into existence. And again, we can't help but notice the Genesis-style language that is used there. The Son is at work in unity and harmony with His Father. The Word was with God. He was with His Father. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning. This self-existent God is our Creator. Both Father and Son. And the Son clearly works in harmony with the Father. And yet it is very important for us to note this. So we don't morph into heresy. There is a distinction of God the Father and God the Son. The early church, especially in the Confession and Creeds, had to take careful time to define who Jesus is, and really the other attack was the personhood of the Holy Spirit that we'll get to in just a moment. But I find this very interesting that John, when he's going to make an appeal that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, he goes back to creation because the Trinity, our monotheistic Trinitarianism, at first was involved in creation. It starts with creation. Go back to the text in Genesis chapter 1 as we move along. The Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, is the third person of the Trinity. He is mentioned here in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit was involved in the creation of everything. As the Son speaks, the presence of the Holy Spirit is there. He is hovering, verse 2 tells us, over the waters. The closest mention to this concept of hovering over is found in, I think, Deuteronomy chapter 32, where Scripture mentions of, a, of an eagle hovering over its nest in love and in care. So the Spirit hovers over as the Son speaks all of creation into existence. The Holy Spirit is active in creation, giving his love and his care. And in so doing, as he is involved in this activity, the result of what God does is creation happens. And the Trinity itself works in perfect unity and harmony. And the Bible is mindful to tell us about that. Follow this, please, with me in Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 4. And God saw that the light was good. Verse 10. And God saw that it was good. Verse 12. And God saw 
that it was good. Verse 18, and God saw that it was good. Verse 21, and God saw that it was good. Verse 25, and God saw that it was good. Then we get to the culmination in verse 31. I love this. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. I think that's very essential for us. Friends, because creation's not headed to devastation. Creation is headed to new creation and a glorious resurrection. We won't spend the time to do that this morning, but read for your own enjoyment Romans chapter 8, where the Apostle Paul tells us that the creation is currently in bondage and it groans within itself because when Jesus returns and he raises the dead and judges the living and the dead, he will make creation new. Why? Because creation itself was created good. God saw that everything was good. Well, not only is the universe and everything in it, every molecule, every atom, everything outside of the other who is our Trinitarian God was created by our Trinitarian God. The apex of creation was humanity. The Trinity created humanity. Look once again at verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock of all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God, Elohim, created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, our Trinitarian God created them. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Scripture is clear to this. Scripture is plain to this. It's, it's easy to understand. I want to pause for a moment. When we consider that the Trinity has created humanity, this brings us enormous consequences to understand the world around us. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 3, Adam fell. He fell in sin. A willful rebellion against his creator God. And the result, Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death 
spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned in Adam. We all sat here this morning as sinners. And because we have this creator who we have violated, each and every one of us will give an account to God on our own. Please, if you do anything today, do not wipe that thought out of your mind. I am accountable to my creator for the life he has given me. And each of us on the final day will give that account. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter, through, uh, chapter 3. We know that the Trinity is involved in creation. We know ultimately from Genesis chapter 3 that man fell. He sinned against the monotheistic Trinitarian God of ours, both Father, Son, and Spirit. It's in Matthew's Gospel, though, once again we get this picture from creation to, to new creation, right? Because the Gospel accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of them are a testimony of an eyewitness pointing to that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Creation points us to new creation at the baptism of Jesus. Look at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fulfilled or fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, notice this, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus' baptism is a reenactment of creation to new creation. As God spoke in creation, so the Father speaks, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am pleased. He is the one. As the Spirit hovers over the waters in creation, so the Spirit hovers and rests on Jesus in love and care through the waters of baptism. Jesus, of course, we know, being the sinless Son of God, didn't need to be baptized, but yet, yes, He did. 
to fulfill all righteousness. It is in Jesus' baptism, it prefigures for us his life, death, and resurrection, which is the thing that fulfills all righteousness that you need and I need. Because we are all going to face the God, this Trinitarian God in the judgment. Just a couple things as we wrap this up. You know, the the Trinity is not a theoretical position of God. The Trinity is not an abstract idea of God. The Trinity leads each of us into a personal experience with God. You see, my friends, you need the Trinity. I need the Trinity. Why? Because Jesus is the Messiah. Because Jesus is the Christ. Because Jesus is the Son of God. Because Jesus is the last Adam who wrongs the heir of the first Adam. It is Christ alone that can give you life. You need to ask yourself these two questions. Do you belong to Jesus? And are you born of the Spirit that we looked at last week? Because new creation is offered in the gospel. And this is how Jesus begins his ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says to repent and to believe in the gospel. You need to repent of your sin. You need to repent of your sin and to see your need for forgiveness. And you need to ask the God of heaven to forgive you of your sin because he alone is the one we have sinned against. Because, my friends, God as being other, God also is holy. His main attributes are holy, holy, holy. God is holy. And in the gospel, you need to have the knowledge that that God is holy. And that you and that I are sinful. We are sinful and we are in need of forgiveness. And we cannot save ourselves. You need to repent of your sin. You need to turn to Jesus. You need to find forgiveness of your sin in Jesus. You need the knowledge of the gospel that God is holy, that you are sinful, and that Christ alone by his life, death, and resurrection can save you. Without that knowledge, you cannot have life with God. But that is not enough. You need to assent that these things that the Bible tells us about this monotheistic Trinitarian God of ours and in the truth of the gospel is real. In my mind, I must believe those things that I've been given in knowledge that God is holy, that I am in fact sinful in desperate need, And that Jesus alone is the only one that can save me. You need to assent in your mind that that is true. 
And yet, friends, please get this. It's not enough. They're necessary. They're needful. They both must happen because God doesn't save by osmosis or some esoteric knowledge. God saves according to the gospel, but until you repent and trust in Jesus alone to save you, you will not be saved. We need knowledge. We need assent. And most assuredly, we've got to trust that what God says about himself, that he is holy and that I am sinful, and that Christ's death and resurrection is the only thing that can save me from my sin. Friend, your hope and my hope in the judgment is that Jesus paid it all. And thank God he did. Let's pray. Father God, as we move to this time where your people, your church, will dine at your table, this tangible experience of the, the bread and the wine, which symbolize the body of Jesus that was sacrificed and the blood that was shed. Yes, God, blood atonement is a type of mystery to us, but we with wholeheartedness believe it by faith because your word tells us it is true. So, Lord, I pray you will strengthen and encourage the hearts of your people, those who have trusted in Christ. And Lord, I ask for those that do not know Jesus that they will abstain from the table so that they might not eat and drink damnation to themselves. Having taken the wine and the bread lightly, but may they come as they're being turned, might they see your mercy that you offer in the free offer of the gospel. God, we thank you that you are saving, that you have saved here, that you are saving people across our country. Yes, God, that you are saving people across the globe. We give you thanks and we bless your holy name. We ask in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Amen.